Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. As a leader, you know that trust is essential. But the question is, how do you lead from a basis of trust? And I want to contrast trust with a basis of control. Now, I know a lot of us think that control is a bad thing. And I also know as a coach that a lot of us do a lot more controlling than we necessarily want to admit to. So in that context, how do you lead from a basis of trust and less control? How do you increase your trust? And how does trust inspire to kind of connect to your ability to inspire and create a sense of purpose? So we have a special guest today. It's Stephen M. R. Covey. He is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust. It's been translated into 22 languages and sold over 2 million copies worldwide. Don't we all wish we could say that, by the way? He's also the co-author of Amazon's bestseller, Smart Trust, and working on a new manuscript, I might add. Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner. He's currently president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he's increased shareholder value by 67 times and grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust Practice, and he's on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he's been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Top Thought Leaders in Trust from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. Stephen's taught trust and leadership 55 countries to business, government, military, education, and NGOs, and it's part of his passion. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, Wanda, wonderful to be with you. Excited to be on the show. And you're right. Trust is, I feel like it is my passion. My life's calling. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. So tell me why. Why is trust so important to you? What got you started on this journey? Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, trust, if you think about it, is the one thing that changes everything. So everything else that we're trying to do, we can do better if we start with trust and our ability to, you know, to, to build teams, to collaborate, to innovate, to build cultures of inclusion, to, to really attract, retain, engage, inspire people, all goes up with trust. They all go down with distrust. And so it's, it's, it's profoundly impactful on everything. And, and I got inspired by this when I kind of saw in my own situation, you know, building a high trust team and a high trust culture and seeing all the, the dividends, the benefits that came from that. And then we merged our company with our arch competitor. <laughs> and now these two competitors coming together and there's low trust everywhere. And I saw the high cost of low trust firsthand. And, and you, know, the, you know, how everything was politicized and everything, you know, suspicion crept into every conversation. And I saw the cost of that. And, and uh, we recognized that we've got to build trust in this new merged company. So even though we taught these principles, we had to apply them to ourselves. And once we did, that changed everything. And I came out of that experience saying, trust matters and it is learnable. It is movable. 
movable. You can get good at doing this because we went from kind of low trust to high trust and that changed everything. And so it inspired me to kind of say, hey, this is an important topic that's often misunderstood, kind of seen as soft or too academic, but it's really practical, it's tangible, and it makes a profound difference in our lives and our leadership. Okay. Well, I often say to people, even something as simple as giving constructive feedback. If I'm trying to give you constructive feedback and you don't trust me, we can chuck that conversation right out the door because it's not going anywhere. It's going to be interpreted in all the wrong ways. And that's just one piece of what we try to do in organizations. Okay, now I have all my questions I want to ask you, but you just led with a great story and I can't resist digging into it. What did you do? So many people have been in this case where teams merge, there's distrust, they hate each other, they're undermining each other. I mean, all sorts of nasty stuff. We've been there, we've seen it. What did you do to get those two teams to trust? Yeah, and you're exactly right. Uh, distrust is, you know, trust is usually the casualty of most mergers, the very first casualty, unless you're intentional. So here's what we did, here's, and here's what I tried to do. Um, I, I realized that I had to look in the mirror and, and, uh, and I had to go first. Someone needed to go first and everyone's kind of waiting on the other. Well, leaders go first. And, and I was in the responsibility of leadership and half the people didn't trust me. You know, we'd merge and it wasn't because I'd done bad things. It's just because I hadn't intentionally built a relationship and built experiences and done things together. And I had to kind of go first. And so I had to take on the tough issues, be open, be transparent. And so I tried to do exactly that. I tried to kind of talk straight. Here are the issues we're working on. You know, as we merge these companies, which compensation system are we going to use? And what's our criteria for that? And who's deciding? I had to be transparent about it. I had to be authentic about it and real. And, and, and I had to listen first and try to understand a whole variety of behaviors to where I had to kind of behave my way into greater trust through my actions, not just my words, but my actions. And as I started to do that, people began to say, hmm, maybe I should give him a chance. Maybe I should trust him. He doesn't seem to have an agenda. He seems to be open. He seems to be transparent. He seems to be telling the truth. And then when I made a commitment, I wanted to make sure I always kept it so that you do what you say you're going to do. And we began to behave our way into greater trust. But the thing is, someone had to go first and I had to, and that took courage. And it, would be, it was kind of easy to kind of point the finger and say, hey, I'm not the problem. You are, or they are. Mm-hmm. But, I, but that wasn't, that wasn't going to build trust. I had to kind of own it, take responsibility for it. And lead out by going first. I had to be the first to be open, the first to be transparent, the first to talk straight, the first to really extend trust to another person. And as I did that, then people started to reciprocate and began to change everything. So leaders go first. I love that one. Go first. Um, It strikes me that a lot of what you've said about what you did is what we would read in a routine, you know, it would be in your books, we'd read it in some other places, this notion of initiating it rather than waiting to see if other people deserve it, that sense of openness and transparency and following through, so you do what you say you're going to do and some straight talk and put some issues on the table, I mean, those seem really straightforward, so why is it we're so bad at this stuff? What gets in the way of our being great trust, being better trusters? Yeah. Trusting leaders. Yeah. Well, I think um, 
a number of things get in the way. The first is that we tend to think that the problem is out there, yeah. is everybody else. And that very thinking is the problem. Yeah. It's not that there aren't problems out there. Of course there are. But if we think that that, you know, that is everyone else that needs to change and need to yep. become more trustworthy and need to go first. If we think that that very thinking is the problem because we disempower ourselves, we've got to look in the mirror. We've got to go first, even when others are part of the problem. Right. We need to lead out. That's the first thing. It's natural human nature to point out the, you know, to look out the window and not into the mirror. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that it's very easy to get trapped in what I call kind of counterfeit behavior. You know, counterfeit behavior is like counterfeit money, right? It looks real, but it's not. Same with counterfeit behavior. It looks real, but it's not. So if a behavior that builds trust is to talk straight, you know, you tell the truth, the opposite of that is to lie. And we know that that will not build trust. And whereas telling the truth builds trust, it's kind of self-evident, straightforward. We learned this in kindergarten. What trips us up so often is the counterfeit. The counterfeit is when people spin or when they twist or manipulate or posture or when they quote, you know, technically tell the truth, but leave the wrong impression. So they tell you what you you want to hear. And, and, um, and, and the whole cultures can kind of get filled with counterfeit behavior. And, and we found ourselves doing that. It wasn't that we were bad people doing bad things. Now we just got caught in a culture of counterfeit behavior and kind of everyone was spinning. Everyone kind of had a hidden agenda, but not evil people doing evil things, but you know, counterfeits. And we got trapped in that. And it's very easy to get trapped in the counterfeit behaviors. And, and um, so that will also get in the way. And then finally, I will, I will just add that sometimes we don't recognize the, how, how trust is not just a nice to have social virtue, because everyone knows that it's important in a relationship socially, but to really see trust for what it is, and that is an economic driver. Right. It affects the speed at which we can move and the cost of everything. And we like to solve economic problems. And so if you frame trust in economic terms, as well as in social terms, suddenly that gets on the radar. We want to solve that. And, and uh, you know, we're not going to build trust with customers and partners if we don't build trust with our own people. It's got to go inside out. And the more we see trust as an economic driver, as well as a social virtue, the more we'll prioritize it, we'll focus on it and try to build it from the inside out. So those are some of the things. There's many others that get in the way. It's kind of a low trust world and it can't, tends to perpetuate itself. So we've got to counteract that. And that's why I say leaders go first, because um, it's, it's difficult, you know, to be the first to be the straight talker in a world of spin. Right. And, and the first to be the one that opens their agenda in a world of hidden agendas. Right. And that takes courage as well as humility. And that's what leaders need to do. I couldn't agree more. I think you said that very well. I love your phrase that you keep saying leaders go first. It's that initiate, make it happen, make it happen, start it, get it started, get it moving forward in some direction. Um, I've been talking lately a lot about performance and the need to get raw bottom line performance. And raw bottom line performance is going to come, we know, when people feel like they can say the real truth in the room, we can deal with what the real issues are, and I get genuine commitment. And I get people's passion and willingness to give it the extra mile And I get their ideas, their creativity. You're not going to get great performance without those. And if you just stop and say, 
if I was a person working in this company and I didn't trust, would I give that extra mile? Would I give my ideas? Would I resolve the issues? The answer is no. So I often look at my clients regularly and say, I'm amazed that any of you make any money given (laughs) what I see as the behaviors that are happening in the meantime. Okay, so let me go back to this notion of command and control. So you've been making a big deal out of this. And, you know, everybody, every leader I talk with will say, oh, no, I don't do command and control. (laughs) And the literature is full of everybody saying command and control is dead, But like you, I kind of think it's not dead. So tell us how you think this all fits into this equation. Yeah, it's still, you know, intellectually, we say, of course, this is old school. But in terms of actual practice, I still believe it's the prevailing norm in most industries, in most cultures. And there's some data that shows that, that, that for all our talk of how we've kind of transcended that, that uh, it's estimated that as many as 92% of organizations are still kind of command and control based. It's just what happened, Wanda, they become better at it. Yeah. <laughs> they become more enlightened in their command and control, more sophisticated. They brought in a mission. They brought in emotional intelligence. They brought in strengths. But too often the paradigm hasn't shifted they still are trying to kind of manage people the same way they manage things. And, and so that's the danger. And, and again, I'm not against the idea of control because you need to have some level of control inside of an organization. Sure. But, but, if, but the question is, what is the basis on which you're engendering and creating and establishing that tr- control? Are you trying to do it out of, you know, you're the, out of your position that I'm the boss? Therefore, listen to me, the boss, you know, what I say, you know, governs and matters. Or rather, does the control come about because of of your influence, your credibility, Mm -hmm. your moral authority, the respect, the trust, the confidence that people have in you versus just the position? What are you relying upon? Are you relying upon position or are you relying upon influence and credibility and, and who you are as a person, as a leader? That's the first test is, you know, what am I um, ultimately coming back to? Position or influence and credibility? A second key test is, um, how am I uh, working with people? Am I seeking to lead people? Or too too often, am I I truly managing people? (laughs) Kind of like I manage things. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, that's efficient, but in the long run, it's not effective. We want to manage things and lead people. And, and again, when we manage things, that will give us a sense of control. And that's an appropriate place to have control. But if we're trying to control people and really manage people, which is, a, you know, management is a term that if you manage horses, you know, it, it's, you know, you don't manage people. We try to manage or control people instead of leading them. In the long run, it won't be very effective. People won't feel inspired. They'll feel manipulated. It just won't work. And yet, still too often, people commingle the two things. And they manage people as if they were things. And and that's not going to work. So come back to, yes, manage things, but lead people. It's a simple idea. We've known it for years. And yet, I find time and again, so many of us fall back into that, you know, the old school paradigm. It's just we become more enlightened 
about it. So it's an enlightened command and control. It's a kinder, gentler command and control, more benevolent. But the paradigm hasn't shifted. How I view people, how I view leadership. And when I view people kind of as, as assets, and even the expression, people are most important are assets. An asset is a thing, as opposed to people are people. They have in, inherent and natural value in and of themselves as human beings. And they have the potential for you know, greatness inside of them. So my job as a leader is not to try to contain them or control them. My tr- job as a leader is to unleash them. And I want to inspire them. And I want to see the greatness inside of them. And I want to ignite that greatness inside of them and unleash it. And, and uh, that's what I mean by inspire is to ignite the fire within versus try to motivate them with carrot and stick and other things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's kind of a paradigm issue. I don't think, Wanda, that our paradigm has shifted. I think we've tried to use the words that we're, you know, we need a new style of leadership, a new way to lead, whether they call it empowerment or a whole bunch, you know, a whole bunch of different names. But I think our paradigm still is too much steeped in the paradigm of, of command and control. We, we just far more benevolent and enlightened about it. I, two comments to this one. One, in my language and in my work and in my belief, so many of us are leading and using our, even at very senior levels, using our expertise, our knowledge, our content is the basis of authority. So you follow me yep. because I know more. And what that does is set up the leader's job is to control risk. I don't want anything to go wrong on my watch. I know better than everybody else, and therefore I should be able to manage, in effect, control risks. And that leads to a way of delegating and coaching and supporting people that's largely, uh, I know you do the way I'm kindly, but instructing you to do. And I hope you're inspired by becoming like me, but it's a hope <laughs> as opposed to an actual real inspiration. But yeah. that base of expertise, that not when you lead from that core of knowledge, you're just down this path that says, I can't ignite people to their greatness. They'll come up with stuff that doesn't fit. And we're back to the paradigm. So I think you're right that we've gotten more sophisticated in how we talk about it, but we haven't understood what else, how to, man, how to cope when our control mechanisms are not the same. So that is one part. Yeah, I agree. Throughout the entire pandemic, you know, when we talk about resilience, we talk about millennials, we talk about Gen Z, we talk about uh, giving constructive feedback, we talk about effective conversation and conflict. It all comes down to me, to a basic principle, is if I don't believe you care about me as a human being, we're not going to go very far. So I love the phrase that one of my millennials has said is treat me like a person, a whole human being with interest beyond just what you need me to do, not like an output machine. So when you care about me versus my output, you're going to get a lot more. I think it's the same idea you're espousing here, but I just love that thing of thinking about the person, not just the output. I love it. I, I agree completely. And the pandemic and its aftermath and all the implications of it has, have given us a great opportunity to demonstrate great leadership and to build trust better and faster by starting with this very point you're, you're bringing up, which is to demonstrate that we care, 
to show our intent to, that we care about people, not just them as an asset that produces for the company, but them as a whole person, as a human being, exactly what you're saying. People are whole people, body, heart, mind, spirit. So that's why they want to be inspired, not merely motivate, because they're a whole person. They have a desire for meaning and purpose and contribution. And we will, we will connect with them as a person when we show that we care about them. What's so interesting, Wanda, is I used to always say that, you know, I have a basic construct that, you know, trust flows from character and competence. And you need to have both. And the fastest way to build trust, I used to always say the fastest way to build trust tends to be on the competent side. Mm-hmm. That's your whole point of expertise. You know, I'm an expert, right. I'm competent, I, I get results. And so that builds trust because you got to get performance. And I agree with that. You can build trust fast that way. And then I would say the fastest way to lose trust is on the character side, you know, a violation of integrity or being self-serving. You really lose trust fast there. But I've kind of changed my thinking on this <laughs> in this pandemic. Okay. And I believe this now. The fastest way to build trust is also on the character side. Hmm. So it's not that I'm an expert. It's that I am a caring, empathic human being. And I care about you, another human being. Mm -hmm. And and caring is my motive. And I'm seeking to create a team in a sense of belonging, in a sense of purpose. And by demonstrating empathy, by demonstrating compassion, and understanding, and by showing that I care, I build trust exceptionally fast, especially in an environment like today. And so it's not that I'm against the expertise. That's a good thing, but none of us can stay expert in the world today. It's changing too fast. And so I'm reminded when you're talking about the expertise that um, is Liz Wiseman's, you know, magnificent work multiplier that your job as a leader is not to be the genius. And that's the whole expertise thing because everything's changing too much. Knowledge is expanding too great. Your job as a leader is to be the genius maker, to bring out the genius in others on your team collectively together, what you can do. And you'll do that better if you build trust with each other and you'll build more trust with each other. If people believe that you care and that you have their best interest at heart. And that flows from your intent, your character. And so that's always mattered, but I think it's just been writ large in this pandemic and become even more self-evident and apparent. Well, I'm certainly seeing in this pandemic, people are very, I think leaders have good intention and they say the right things. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, how are you doing was an accepted, I mean, that meant you were caring. It was good. Right. But if that's all you're doing now, we've missed the mark. Mm-hmm. So we fail to recognize how much of the person shows up when we do this Zoom call. There's so much more there that I can connect to and see and touch. We fail to understand the parental responsibilities. And in this, you know, month of celebrating women and women's history, it's, you know, that burden is falling in the wrong places and we can speculate why and how and what to do about it. But just that bit of understanding and caring about that, I think goes a massively long ways for performance at the end of the day. So easier said than sometimes convincing clients that that's what they do. And they all turn to me and say, well, how do I do this? 
Okay, before I go there, we're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to come back to your notion about um, credibility. So, and you said character. Now, that often sounds a lot like charisma. Do you mean charisma? Do you, what, what do you mean this thing, character, is what really is going to drive trust? Yeah. Um, no, not necessarily at all. <laughs> um, there are many people who might be considered charismatic, who might motivate, but they don't inspire, who might, uh, you know, they, they might be interesting, but but I might not follow them if I don't think they have my best interest at heart. I think we need to separate the idea of charisma from inspiration. I think it's a mistake to equate them. And, and uh, because again, I know a lot of people who are very charismatic who are not inspiring at all. And I know some people who are not at all charismatic in terms of their personality, but who are extraordinarily inspiring. Why? Because they, have, they really genuinely care about people and they know how to connect with people, to see people as whole people and to understand what's important to that person, to listen to them, to be empathic, to be understanding and to help that person find their own why for them mm-hmm. and to overlap you know, their why with the company's why or the team's why so that they can create a sense of, of belonging. They're really good at connecting with people. They also could be good at connecting to purpose and to meaning and to contribution. And all those things have nothing to do with charisma. So I think we need to separate the two. And what really inspires today is connecting with people through caring and belonging and connecting to purpose, to meaning, to contribution. And so I believe everyone can inspire it's not just for the charismatic. And, you know, inspiring others is a learnable skill as a leader. Everyone can inspire because we can all learn to connect with people and to connect to purpose. Now, you can't just go through the motions and, you know, kind of see this as a tool or a technique because that's not authentic. That's not genuine caring. It needs to flow deep from our heart. That's why I say it starts in character of, you know, of our integrity, our intent, that we really do care about the people that we're serving, that we're leading, and they know and feel that we care about them, that we're seeking best, you know, mutual benefit, the best interests of others. That's called win-win. Of course, we want to win, but I want my people's win as much as I do my own. And when people sense that, taste that, believe that, experience that, they tend to trust me. And they're far more open now to be influenced by me. And, and so, again, it starts inside, and, uh, but it's very practical. And, and tangible because it, it goes outside. And, and uh, I just was on a, um, a, a, a recent webinar with my uh, friend, Doug Conant, He's the former CEO of Campbell's Soup Company. And they went from lowest engagement to world-class engagement during his tenure with the financial performance that followed that was comparable. And, and his whole premise is we've got to inspire trust. And we do that by going in and then moving out. And he, and he puts it this way, the only way out is in. And the idea there is that it's got to be inside out. So if we want to influence others, you know, starting with our own people, our team, our company, and, and then ripple out into the marketplace with customers and partners, we do that by first going deep inside ourselves, our character, our 
competence, our credibility, our moral authority. That's our starting point. That's our source of power, not position. And we use that and we, we model, we trust, we inspire people in these ways. And it's just a better way to lead in our world today, you know, versus, you know, command and control, um, which might have been useful in a different time, different construct, different era, not going to work today in a world with all this change and disruption with so much diversity, a need for inclusion, need for innovation, collaboration. You can't command and control your way to greater collaboration. You know, I listened to your great uh, podcast with uh, uh, Jim Tim on, on the on the radical collaboration. Yeah. The whole idea is that you got to have it internally if you're going to have it externally. And, you know, you've got to, it's inside out on everything. Right. And leadership ultimately also is an inside out process. So let's look in the mirror. Let's start with ourselves, our own credibility, our own integrity, our intent, and, and then our capabilities, our results. And then we'll ripple out from there. And there's a whole lot of other things we got to do, but that gives us a sense of stability, of changelessness in a changing, disruptive world. Right. Right. At least I can count on you. All right. This is a perfect place to take a break because what I want to come back is challenge you on how. How do we become to do this better? How do we – so I get the point of I look inside. Mm-hmm. I have to know my own intent. I have to understand my own integrity. I have to understand my own level of courage. I have to understand my own comfort or discomfort with vulnerability. All of those are things I've got to lean into personally. Yes. And then I want to know, so how do I do next? And I'm intrigued with this idea of how to inspire, but we'll come back from that one. My favorite quote from today, from this segment so far, leaders go first. It's a notion if you want trust in your organization, you got to start with it yourself and start with it is about talking straight, extending it to others, saying what you really mean, following through with it, character and integrity. All right. My guest today is Stephen M. R. Covey. We'll be back in just a couple minutes to talk more about how you can lead with more trust and more importantly, how can you inspire? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum. Helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Stephen M. R. Covey, a bestseller from both New York Times Wall Street Journal book that's been translated into 22 languages and sold over 2 million copies. It's called The Speed of Trust. His second book, Smart Trust, is a number one Amazon bestseller. I should also say that Stephen is the president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Practice, where he leads the Franklin Covey's Speed of Trust Practice. And he sits on a number of boards, worked with organizations around the world, businesses, government, military, education, and NGOs. And as you can tell from the first half, is absolutely passionate about this concept of trust. So we've covered the notion that without trust, you're not going to get where you want to go in terms of performance. It's going to cost you in speed, and it's going to cost you, we think, in real dollars at the end of the day. Plus, if you're not trusting people, you're not going to get the best out of them. So it's hard to have this sense of excitement and inspiration and real commitment. All right, so you left us with two teasers at the end of that last segment that I have to pick up on. The first one is this notion of to build trust. And it's the base for then being able to um, do inspiration. So, and you said, we start by looking inward and understand my intention, understand my character, all of those, my integrity, all moral character, all of those things you said. But what else can we do to actually really build trust? Are there tangible tactics? Yeah, let me give you a couple of really practical things you can do. Because I'm trying to make the point that trust is learnable as a skill. Mm-hmm. And we build it through our, our credibility mm-hmm. and our behavior. So let me give you a practical thing you can do on credibility and one on behavior. So on credibility, I've talked about our character and our intent. Here's a great way to accelerate the building of a trust as a leader, as an individual. Always declare your intent. Mm-hmm. Declare your intent. That means you share not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it. Always give the why behind the what. The idea here is that you don't have a hidden agenda. You have an open agenda. You're transparent. There's nothing to hide. And I declare it. So if I'm a leader of a team, I come in and say, team, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why we're trying to do it. And I'm being I'm being open. I'm being vulnerable. And like Brene Brown says, the very act of being vulnerable 
invites people to reciprocate and to, and to you know, reciprocate trust back too. They, they trust me because they realize I'm, I'm, I'm real, I'm authentic. I'm not trying to be someone else right. or, or someone different than I say. I'm, I'm open, I'm transparent. I declare my intent. And more, even more than that, as Doug Conant said, I mentioned to him, I declare myself. Here's not only my agenda, here's who I am. So I, take, I try to take the mystery out of the relationship. And then the reciprocal behavior, or, you know, practice that goes along with that, declare your intent. And as a starting point, as we work with each other, start by assuming positive intent. I learned that from Indra Nui, mm-hmm. um, the, one of the great leaders I've ever known. She just retired as CEO of PepsiCo. And she was asked, you know, what's the single greatest learning of your life? And she said this uh, publicly. She said it to me personally. She said, always assume positive intent because it's amazing how that changes everything. So what if you just take those two twin best practices of always declaring your intent and assuming positive intent in any relationship, any team, any organization, at least as a starting point, look how much farther, faster you'll go in building trust. Because again, this will give people a new lens through which they'll interpret you. Because when you don't declare intent, people ascribe intent to you anyways. And they do it out of their, you know, their agenda, their, you know, their worst case scenario, their fears. And at best, they're guessing. Mm-hmm. Our role, no guessing. Declare your intent. Assume positive intent. Mm-hmm. And on the behavior side, you know, I've talked heavily about we've got to start with credibility and being, you know, cr- being credible, being trustworthy. But it's not enough to be trustworthy. We also need to be trusting. And, and uh, there's many leaders who are trustworthy who are not trusting. And, and when they don't trust others, people tend to not trust them back. And so be the first to lead out in extending trust to others. Be smart about it. You know, assess the situation, the risk. Always have clear expectations and accountability. So I'm not saying blindly trust everyone and everyone. I'm saying no. Smart, smart trust with expectations and accountability but extend trust, be trusting. We need more leaders who are trusting. Right. And, and it's not enough just to be trustworthy. We've got to be trusting as leaders. And you watch, it will come back to you and people will rise to the occasion. They'll perform better and they will be inspired. And that brings us back to inspiration. Inspiration. All right. I can't resist making a comment on this one because okay. I fundamentally believe that way too often as human beings, leaders and people inside organizations, so big scale, small scale leadership, that we believe trust is, a cra- is created because I am trustworthy. And I want you to see that in me that I'm trustworthy. And that's the end of the equation. And it's not. It's because you may be trustworthy, but I'm not going to trust you unless you trust me. It's a reciprocal relationship. And we've gotten hung up on the trustworthy part, not the verb trusting part. Uh, you, Wanda, this is so critical. It's, it's, it sounds obvious, but I'm telling you, so many leaders miss this point. And they don't understand that others aren't trusting, not because they're untrustworthy, no, but because they're not trusting. Mm-hmm. I've worked with organizations all around the world and in low trust teams, low trust cultures, low trust companies. Here's what I find. The number one reason why employees don't trust their managers is because the managers don't trust the employees, employees. and the employees reciprocate that distrust right back at them. Okay. And so, yeah, you want to be trusted? Yeah, you got to earn it. But more importantly, 
or equally of equal importance, you've got to give it. You've got to give it to get it. And we need to be more trusting as leaders. There's a risk to trust, but there's a risk not to trust. And I think not trusting is perhaps our greatest risk. You talk about building trust in, in in a culture of inclusion. Perhaps our strongest unconscious bias are, is around those whom we choose to trust or not. So be willing to extend mm-hmm. trust, including to those who are different than us. Okay. Now that one we have to come back to, because that is something I passionately believe. But I'm going to connect what you've said here about trusting, about granting trust and declaring intent back to the notion of counterfeit behavior. I love that expression because when I am not declaring intent, and other people are not declaring intent, we've set up an environment for folks to believe that there is counterfeit behavior. Whether there is or not, they can't tell, but they sure will believe it. So, uh, See, that's so important because um, literally their lens of the world, how they'll interpret our behavior, they'll view even authentic behavior perhaps as counterfeit behavior because that's their lens because they are, they are ascribing intent to us. Yeah. And they ascribe from their frame of reference or from their fears or from their worst case scenarios or at best from guessing. Yeah. And so don't let people guess. Why let them guess? That's right. Declare your intent. Declare yourself. Take the mystery out of the relationship. Take the mystery out of what you're trying to do. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Be real. It, you know, it takes courage because uh, it might be that, that uh, you know, you are in fact going to need to be vulnerable by by sharing this but the very act of doing that will invite and a reciprocity towards both vulnerability and especially towards trust and and um and you can build that better and faster and and you know and again it's not like you're not still having the competent side of of focusing on your capabilities your results so that you're giving people confidence but you're also saying i'm real too just like you are I'm an authentic human being, just like you are, you know, to be rather than to seem. So let people see right through and declare yourself, declare your intent, assume positive intent. And, and, um, and that gives people a new lens through which they'll interpret your behavior and they'll see you differently. Mm-hmm. Without that, they'll see counterfeit behavior when in fact it's authentic. Right. You're right. 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 Okay. And then I have one more piece that I have to come kind of pick up on. Then we're going to talk about inspiration which is this assume positive intent. I've heard Indra say that. I've heard a number of other leaders say that, assume a positive intent. I find it is so difficult. Some personalities are not naturally trusting characters and they walk in the world with assuming something other than positive intent. So this is not, I'm going to give people the keys to my bank account and say, have at it, I'm going to trust you. It is saying, I'm assuming that you're coming here for the intention of this company succeeding. That's a positive intent. How you may want to do that, I may not agree with, but I can assume your intent is a good one. And that's, that changes the entire equation, completely changes the entire equation. I couldn't agree more. It's exactly it. And again, assuming positive intent is an extension of trust. Right. So you got to, you know, it's, you, you use good judgment. Like you say, it's not just, I assume positive intent, here's my bank account. No, that's a good example of, that That would be a blind trust or not a mm-hmm. smart trust. Still be smart, but it's exactly what you said. I assume you're trying for the same thing that I am. 
you want to help people. You want to help this company. You want to help clients and customers. You might have a different idea of how best to do it. And rather than me judging that or assessing that, that, that you're not seeking the same thing I am. Instead, I say, you're trying to do the same thing we are together. We just might see the world differently. And maybe collectively, we could come up with something even better. But it's just a powerful starting point in most situations. Now, look, if someone consistently abuses um, your assumption, you know, you're assuming positive intent, then no longer, you know, may not be smart anymore to start with that. But for most people, it's a far better starting point. And it just invites a reciprocity and you'll just go so much farther faster. Right. So yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great learning that I come back to time and again. Right. That's a great one. Um, and I also, also want to underscore, um, I think a number of people have said this, but Steve Miller is the one I'm going to call out right at the moment in this book, Messengers. And the basic principle is we are influenced by people we trust. Can't influence you if I don't trust you. Just not, if you don't trust me, I guess I should say. And the danger, though, is that we trust people who are a lot like us. It's easier to see the positive intent in people who are a lot like us. It's easier to make the connections, the human-to-human connections. It's easier to have empathy for people who have a similar life experience. And there we set up all the biases that we see in the world and all the inclusion and exclusion that we see in the world. I think it's a human pattern. So this notion of getting smarter at trusting Doing the two things you said, declaring intent and assuming positive intent, just would make a massive difference in building a more inclusive culture. Massive difference. Because again, if if we have greater trust, it's far uh, more easy, natural, and abundant to build a culture of inclusion, inclusion where our differences are truly our strengths. And we don't just... Um, coexist with differences, we celebrate them. We run with them because our differences are our strengths when people trust each other. Mm-hmm. The differences can sometimes be suspicious and in some cases even divisive when people don't trust each other. And to have trust, you need to be both trustworthy and trusting. And I think what's missing so often is this being trusting. And there can be an unconscious bias, exactly to your point, that we tend to trust people that we're like, you know, that's called tribal trust. Right. I'm in my tribe. And if they're more in my tribe and I'm in their tribe, it's more natural for me to extend trust to them. So we need to become conscious, self-aware of our propensity to trust and to recognize that we need to lead out with a higher propensity to trust everyone, not just those that we're like, but even those that we're not alike, because we want to build relationship and trust there so that we can value our differences right. and run with them as our greatest strengths to, for creativity and innovation and possibilities. And that's how innovation happens is when there's a collision of differences in an environment of trust. That's Robert Porter Lynch, an innovation specialist. And, but, you know, but we won't have that trust if we're not willing to be trusting. trusting. And we need to be trusting even to those who we're different from that are not in our tribe, so to speak. Right. And, and then as we do this, it becomes a virtuous upward spiral. We see the results. And then we say, wow, being trusting builds trust with trust. We can really synergize and collaborate in new and different ways where our differences become straight. So we get better results. And that inspires us to do more of the same. Right. And, but I think what triggers this, my, my, you know, so my, you know, the whole discussion on inclusion, 
My contribution is to say, be more trusting, <laughs> lead out and extending trust to others. Um, you know, you're in, try to increase your propensity to trust and you still can apply analysis, um, you know, where you assess the situation, the risk, but don't start with the analysis that flows from your head. Instead, start with the heart, which is the propensity, the bias, the inclination, the desire to extend the trust. If you start with the heart and then balance it with your, your head, you will see possibilities you would never see if you go the other direction and lead with your head, not with your heart. And, and, and you miss too many possibilities of extraordinary trust and great collaboration, great synergy, great innovation that start when, starts when differences collide in an environment of trust. That's the idea. So that's why we've got to be more trusting. trusting. And again, leaders go first. And leaders go first. And we're right back to that one. And your advice about declaring intent and assume positive intent. Those are two great, great pieces to this one. Um, I have seen way too many times leaders in this essence of wanting to control because I'm not quite so sure how much I know you or trust you or whatever else in that. They create special circumstances for people who are different. And it all comes out of desiring to control as opposed to extend trust. And we're right back to the same argument, extend the trust. Okay. I get why you're so passionate about this one, because it's every time we come back on the topic, we talk more and more and more about it. I get your passion, but I got to take you to this notion of inspiration. Yes. Because I do not walk into a C-suite office anywhere in the world, in any industry, and talk to people about leadership and what needs to happen to have better leaders in their organization. And the number one thing I get is inspiration. We need inspiration. We need inspiration. We need inspiration. So tell us what we need to do to create more inspiration. And you've already said it's not because I'm charismatic. Right. It's because? It's because I model and I trust and I connect with people through caring and belonging, and I connect to purpose, meaning, and contribution in the work that we do so that it matters. Life is about contribution, not accumulation. So we're trying to contribute, to create value, to tap into meaning, to tap into purpose and the contribution, and everyone can do that. So you model, that, that inspires people. When they see a model, of character and competence, of authenticity, of transparency. When they see a model of someone that goes first, that inspires others who do want to do the same. People are also inspired when they're trusted. To be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the very best in all of us. So you model, that will, build, that will inspire people. You trust them, that will inspire them. And then, very importantly, you connect with them around what's important to them. You're treating them like a whole person. What matters to you? What's your why? You know, as a leader, you try to find your own why. That's that deep internal work I talked about. Mm -hmm. But as a leader working with another person, you try to help them find their why of what's important to them. And you show and you demonstrate that I care. It matters to me what your why is, what your purpose is. And what really ignites you and excites you. I'm trying to tap into that. I'm trying to ignite the fire that's within. And that's the whole idea of inspiration. Inspiration is intrinsic. It's inside of people already. I'm trying to 
bring to life what's inside of them, you know, versus just motivate them through extrinsic rewards or the like. That only has, that's got a shelf life. Mm-hmm. That will end at some point. But if I could ignite a fire inside of somebody, that can burn on for, for years. And so I'm trying to ignite that fire. And one way I ignite it is by demonstrating that I care about them in the little things, in the big things, by showing empathy and, and understanding. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. My father said in seven habits, that's a powerful principle of showing that you care and igniting, you know, passion and excitement and inspiration inside of someone. And then on a team, it's, it's creating a sense of belonging. We're part of something. And there's a, there's a community sense of we're about something greater than ourselves, a higher ambition, a higher purpose. And then finally, we try to connect to purpose, meaning and contribution. And I believe as leaders that we can embed uh, purpose, meaning, and contribution in almost any job, in almost any organization. We got to be creative about it. We got to find ways to say, how can we make what we do here more purposeful, more inspiring? And it's easy if I'm, you know, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital that's that's curing childhood cancer. That's very inspiring. But what if I'm, you know, selling coffee at a Starbucks? You know, so they they come out with. You know, our mission is to, to nurture and to inspire the human spirit. They're, find a, they're trying to find a way to embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into any role, into any organization. And that's what we're trying to do as leaders. And we need to be creative about it. And, and the whole idea is life is about contribution, not accumulation. And it's inside of all of us. So, so let's try to tap into that into people. So I say, connect with people, connect to purpose. And if you do that as a leader, you'll begin to inspire. And inspiration is the new engagement. It's the new frontier. It's what we're looking for today. Great. Stephen, we could keep talking about this one. I am certain for another full hour, but we are out of time. So I'm going to have to say thank you very much. My guest today, Stephen M. R. Covey, the first book, The Speed of Trust, a more recent book, Smart Trust, and one coming out soon. Stay tuned. Stephen, I think this idea of inspiration, and inspiration is grounded because I model it, I go first, because I grant trust, I give trust, I am trusting of other people, and I connect to the human being, to what matters to them, and to what is going to give them a sense of meaning, purpose, and contribution. And you can pick any one of those. We don't have to all save the world. We just have to give people a sense of why what we're doing is worth doing in their way. Brilliantly said. I love it. Stephen, thank you so much. It's been a delight to have you on the show. Thank you, Wanda. Wonderful to be on the show. And I, I'll conclude with this little thought from Amanda Gorman, okay. the first National Youth Poet Laureate. And it's the idea of that leaders go first. And she said, for there is always light. If only we are brave enough to see it. If only we are brave enough to be it. Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. That's going first. Thank you so much, Wanda. Wonderful to be with you. Likewise. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone and check out our new offers on www.outofthecomfortzone.com. See you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 